Welcome to another episode of Live Sound Bootcamp. I'm Ryan John. I'm Brendan Draper. I'm Joe Santarpia. And today we're going to be talking about microphone selection and what you need to know uh, in order to be able to pick the stuff you should be or want to be using on your stage. Ah, Let's get into it. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess the basic thing is to know the different types of microphones. So, you know... There's, there's, I guess, three. There's, well, there's more than three, probably. No, there's definitely more than three. But there's only three that ever get used in live sound. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, got, you got dynamic mics, you got condenser mics, you got ribbon mics. Um, what's, what's the most common use you can think of, Brendan, for a dynamic? Uh, the, mo- the most common for dynamics, um, I mean, they're used all over the stage, but I would say for drum. Everything cl- yeah, is the answer. Like everything. everything. The, yeah, the answer is everything. <laughs> yeah the answer is everything (laughs) you're right (laughs) but uh (laughs) drum close mics vocals amps you name it there's going to be a dynamic on it somewhere like the most common dynamics i can think of are the sm58 and the sm57 right yeah I feel like every audio engineer ever has seen these potentially has used them Mm -hmm. and omnipotent Maybe loves them, maybe hates them. I don't know. I mean, Joe, how do you feel about the 58 as a vocal uh, mic? It's, it's cool. It's fine. Um, you know, it's your, it's, it's your basic vocal mic. Yeah, a human voice sounds the way it's generally supposed to sound, uh, you know, coming through one that, and flat, you know. Um, there's, there's better ones for other voices and you know, for some voices and there's, you know, and, and sometimes it sounds great on a voice. Do you do you use a fifty eight on your show right now? I do currently. I've experimented with some other things, um, and I just got an SEV seven from the fine folks there to try that I'm very excited Ooh, about. How do you like it? I haven't tried it yet uh, because of the Halton uh, touring that's going on. I probably won't uh. until uh, who knows when. But um, you yeah. know that that actually reminds me. I need to check on a shipment that went to England for a tour I was about to start, full of microphones, and I did not check on uh, what happened to that because obviously the rehearsals didn't happen. Right. <laughs> so a rehearsal space might have you know a, a whole brand new selection of microphones now. You got a Whoops. you got a, you got a tra- tracking info on that or? Uh... Yeah, I probably do. <laughs> um, but. It, it, it's yeah yeah but so that 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 reminds me though um you know i i recently just tried the uh, scv7 as well on on an artist i was mixing down in la and up here and it sounded fantastic it was great and and the singer cups the heck out of the mic too uh-huh. and i didn't have much issue with it um whereas you know when i use 58s uh they already have a bit of a mid-range bump on them, right? And that's kind of what makes them work pretty well, is that it makes the vocal cut pretty well, because there's a good amount of that, you know, 700 to 2K range, you know, that intelligibility range, right? Uh-huh. Though I find myself cutting it anyway. <laughs> yeah, fair enough, fair enough. I mean, but the moment you cup a 58, it sounds ungodly awful. <laughs> It's like there, there's more one six in there than has ever existed in, in the whole world. Right, right. And somehow it's all coming through that one microphone. Mm-hmm. The honk. Yeah, the honkiness. But, you know, on the other hand, the, 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 this, the other most common dynamic <clears throat> that I run into is the 57, right? And 
57's got pretty much the same-ish EQ curve as a 58, but it's deemed to be an instrument mic. I right. mean, it's, um, isn't the only difference the grill? Yeah, pretty much. If, if I'm not mistaken, the, the in, inside is actually the same. It's the same capsule, yeah. Is it the same polar pattern? Believe yeah. so. Yeah, yeah, I believe so. Oh, yeah, it's a cardioid, too. For some reason, well, I thought it was a the thing is, The thing is, though, is that, uh, you know, the shape of the stuff around the capsule affects the polar pattern. Mm-hmm. So the shape of the grill is going to change that a little bit, yeah. right? So you might notice on a 57, there's like that little bit of like open grill on the back half of the plastic there. Mm-hmm. That is so that this sound can come in from the rear side and you actually get a, in theory, a, a more directional polar pattern. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's been a while since I've looked at these. It's been a while since I've looked at the little plots for them to actually see mm-hmm. uh, what they look like. But, you know, since we're here already, I mean, what what is a polar pattern? The uh, it is uh, simply You're put on the spot now <laughs> <laughs> right simply put um, the directionality and the qualities of the directionality of the microphone so like you know um, where uh, where uh, it starts to attenuate in, in relation to the position around the capsule um, and at what frequencies does that make sense um, that that is totally more technical than i meant but yeah okay. I'm spot on but <laughs> the directionality it, it's yeah, the directionality. It matter what i mean yeah, yeah it's, it's yeah. the basic it's, way is yeah it's the directionality it's that weird like um, bubble shaped diagram that you see on the manual yeah. right right yeah right. Pick, i mean they, it, they call cardioid cardioid because it looks like a heart right right mm-hmm. the basics of it are you've got three slash three plus polar patterns right cardioid it picks up what's in front of the mic and not what's behind it. You got figure eight. It picks up what's in front of the mic, what's behind it, and not what's on the sides. And then you've got hypercardioid, supercardioid, all these versions of cardioid that are just a little bit more directional in front of them. They kind of cut off what's on the sides by a little bit more and more and more, but they also start to create a lobe in the back. Mm-hmm. So it picks up what's in front of it and directly behind it, but less and less on the sides. It's it's almost like you're going between cardioid and a figure eight. And a figure eight's called a figure eight because it looks like literally an eight. Right. And then you've got Omni. Ah, which is everything. I was just going to say that that was very eloquent. Yeah, I mean, it, like we, I feel like we don't need to go too complicated there because if you get real deep about it, each microphone has a polar plot at any given frequency. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like a uh, hundred hertz, a mic might pick up at all sides of it evenly, but you know, 2K, it might pick up in front of it really well and then behind it, not so well. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Right. And a lot of times on those diagrams, you'll see like a solid line for one frequency, a dotted line for right. another frequency, and then another like differently dotted line for another frequency or something. Or, or different colors. Or if you bought something fancy, you get colors exactly. Right. <laughs> if you get a you get, if you get a Amen. full color printed manual, that's that's some you know. Yeah, you must have spent some real money if you get a full color printed manual. Yeah. But so I guess the next question is, you know, what's what do you do with that information? Like, what's the point? Well, it's it's almost more relevant in live sound than the recording because you're on a stage where there's a bunch of other stuff going on. So you have to be kind of conscious of of that stuff a little more. Um, it's less about like tonality and more about bleed. Yeah, I, I guess I kind of see it as it's it's a battle of isolation and sound, right? Yeah. You want the best sound that represents it the best, 
you know, whatever it's pointing at, whatever the instrument is. You want to represent that the best you can. Yeah. But if that means you're going to have all the other instruments on the stage bleeding into it, then that's not particularly helpful. No, that's going to be so worse overall can, in the mix. Right. So if you can give up a tiny bit of tonality to get better isolation and better clarity of that one instrument, it can sometimes be worth it. Not every time, mm-hmm. but sometimes it's worth it. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of see it as if I can make an adjustment on the mixer end, on my end, uh, to make it achieve the tonality I want, then I, I, can, I can live with it, right? So yeah. if that means I can pick one microphone and it sounds perfect, but it gets a bunch of other stuff in it, then it's the moment I blend that with other microphones that are in front of each of those instruments, it becomes messy, right? But if I get one microphone that the tonality is not as good, but the isolation is so good, as long as I know I can achieve the final sound I want out of it using the tools I have at my console, then the isolation there still wins. Yeah. Yeah. To me. I mean, it's a Agreed. personal preference, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's going to determine how you make your selections and how you kind of learn over time, which mics are going to get you what you need, you know? Um, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. I, I had a bit of a an eye-opening experience years ago. Um, I was in a studio, and, and I was assisting an engineer, and he used uh, 414s, AKGs, on toms. And mind you, they sound amazing. Incredible. They sound great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, I was like, you know, those things pick up a lot. Like, they're condensers. They just, there's a lot of stuff's going to end up in them. And... Um, you know, I went into the studio and listened to it as, as he pulled them up. I was like, these things sound amazing. Like, what have you done here? And he's like, I put them in figure eight. <laughs> and I was mm. like, why would you put it in figure eight? Who would use figure eight on a drum kit? Why would you do that? Mm-hmm. And um, he basically said immediately, he's like, I, put, I make sure the symbols are exactly in the null point of the figure eight. Mm-hmm. And then I've got a lobe pointing right at the tom and then a lobe pointing away at the rim. Mm-hmm. And I end up with a tom that has got all the tone and attack and all that. And a tiny bit of room decay in it. Mm-hmm. And it, mm. it sounded fantastic. That's cool. Yeah. But it was a thing I had never thought about doing. Um, and then later on, I ended up, you know, getting deeper and deeper into live sound, ended up using 98s. And I realized that 98s are hypercardioids. So they are, you know, a lobe in front and a lobe behind. And the, you know, null is kind of off to the sides. Mm-hmm. So if you angle them just right, you can totally keep your symbols out of it. Mm-hmm. That's but, nice. But, you know, keep it nice and clean. But God, do I hate the way they sound. Yeah. I know, I know, I know. I, I mean, I, d- I don't disagree with you. Although I will say, almost every R&B drummer I've ever worked with, they love 98s, and they love it because they've got 900 toms, and they're small, and they're out of the way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, uh, con- sonic yeah. context, too. With, with that, I feel like it works. Metal, you know, they're probably great with metal. I don't know. That, that brings up another aspect of this mic selection as a, as a whole topic is the spatial aspect of things, you know, cause that's something to yeah. consider too, you know, especially on stage. Well, that actually reminds me. So years and years ago, I was doing this metal gig, right? Like 900 toms, two kick drums, you know, a couple snare drums. And by having the two kick drums, there's nowhere to put your snare mic. Hmm. You can't oh, put yeah. a 58 in that space. Yeah, cause right. it's, it's snare drum and then two toms right in front of it. Yeah. So we had to like find a way to make this work. Um, I ended up using uh, an ATM 450, which is like this tiny little pencil-looking thing, but it's a side address mic. Yeah. So I could kind of poke it up, and it would just take up, I don't know, three-quarters of an inch of space. Yeah. But since it was side address, it was 
in theory, pointing at the snare. Yeah. And it was the only option I had because, like, nothing else would fit. Um, I, I had a drummer for a while that his, his hi-hat was just so incredibly close to the snare, just, like, right down in it that, like, putting a mic, even, yeah. like, a hypercardioid, like, in that spot, you would just get so much cymbal bleed because it was just literally mm. right next to the thing. Um, it was basically a hi-hat mic with some snare drum in it. Exactly. Exactly. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, actually, good point, Brennan, the spatial thing. That's, yeah. I don't know why. And and this is going to sound stupid. This is going to sound really stupid. But there is an aesthetic value thing, too. Mm-hmm. Because Absolutely. I would use 441s and, 450, uh, 441s and 421s on tons of stuff. Except they're like a foot and a half long. Yeah, they're huge. <laughs> and I can't put those on toms and have a drummer be okay with it because now all of a sudden from an audience you can't see him anymore <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's a real thing man i mean i think those microphones sound amazing but uh they're just very impractical so so we kind of went a little bit deep there on dynamics and probably too deep but uh what about what about condensers what, what are the places on stage that we typically use those well, probably some cymbals, hi hats, drum overheads. If there's like an individual individual ride mic, uh, might see them on guitar sometimes. Um, and then occasionally there's even you know a scenario where a vocal might be in into some sort of handheld condenser. If it's a singer songwriter and there's not a lot going on on stage, you know. For you, Joe specifically, like what's the reason you'd pick a condenser over a uh, dynamic? Um, depends, you know, it depends. Every scenario is kind of different. Um, you know, in the drum scenario, you want something that, um, has a little bit uh, more detail in the high end and has a little bit, uh, better and faster transient response. Um, t- condensers are, uh, better performing in that aspect than a dynamic. Um, you know, same thing for guitar, depending on the guitar sound you're looking for. Um, and then, you know, the vocal's kind of its own thing. Um, you know, if you have a band, then you're going to risk getting a lot of that band bleed into the, the vocal mic if it's a condenser. Um, so, again... Right, because condensers typically have a slightly wider and, and, you know, deeper, if you will, pickup pattern. Yeah, 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 exactly, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I've tried using condensers as, as lead vocals on a lot of acts, and basically, if there's a drummer or if there's a loud guitar amp, you get so much of that stuff in the mic, yeah. Even though the vocal itself sounds fantastic, it sounds like a studio, it sounds you know crispy, clear, intimate, mm-hmm. all that, but if you get so much of the other stuff, it, it almost becomes not worth it, especially from a monitoring standpoint. I mean, if you're trying to use wedges... Oh yeah, uh, a condenser vocal is really tough. Yeah. Nightmare because yeah. you're just, you're just amplifying the whole stage into that wedge. <laughs> yeah, there's there's more vocal than the rest of it, but there's just so much bleed there. And uh, you know, as we said earlier, it's kind of like a battle between isolation and tone. And yeah, sometimes picking something that is better isolated and sacrificing a tiny bit of that tone is worth it. A big reason why some of these mics have become standards, as in they're always at every venue you go to is because of that reason, to, uh, the reason of be working well with monitors, you know? Like, your drum yeah. overheads can be condensers because almost no one ever asks for them in their monitors, right? Or, yeah. say, like a percussion uh, overhead. Uh, good point. You know? Well, yeah. unless it's ears, maybe. Yeah, if, if it's ears, then yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah fair, yeah, but, of course, yeah. but that, that matters a little bit less. Yeah, yeah. totally. Um, so, you know, that, that's, that's an interesting thing you kind of mentioned there. I mean, 
talking about house mics and stuff, I mean, there are certain mics that you can just always expect to be available. I mean, I feel like we've all built input lists with artists where we know we're not carrying any of our own mics. Mm -hmm. And there's just kind of obvious go-tos that you can expect to be there. I mean, like Joe, if you were going to build an an input list for a five-piece band and you knew you weren't carrying anything, what would be like some of the, the basics you'd put in there? Um, you'd get your, you know, starting from the from the top of the input list. You'd get your typical ninety one kick in, uh, fifty two kick out. You know, fifty sevens on snares um, can pretty much always count on more or less on that being around. Um, right. You know, toms. You might see Sennheiser six oh fours or nine oh fours, or occasionally, yeah, the ninety eights. And, uh, you know, maybe some sort of pencil condenser for hats and overheads, like SM81s or, uh, yeah, I'm not even sure what else <laughs> yeah, no, standard that's, that's, nowadays. But, that's what but I, you know, some 58s yeah. on vocals, right? And, yeah, 50, and, and you're oh, and pretty much there, right? Yeah, yeah. and 50, yeah. 57s for all your instruments and some and uh, radial DIs for everything else. You're off to the races. Right, right, right. Uh, the thing is that that is pretty standard, right? And... If if I was going to be going into a place uh, where we're going to be using house mics every day, I basically want to get the same mics every time. So even though I could say, hey, actually, I want uh, an M201 on my snare top, if I'm only going to get that for like two shows out of the whole tour, and as a result, it's going to be different mics every day, that's less valuable to me than having it be the same every day. Mm-hmm. Because if it's the same every day, if it's just a 57 every day or, you know, a beta 57 or whatever, then at least I know exactly how I'm going to treat it because I've heard it on that instrument, you know, 30, 40 times prior already. Mm-hmm. So for me, my day is easier and quicker. Mm-hmm. I can basically pre-EQ because, you know, I, I, I know what it should be like. Yeah, Consistency the, is key. The, yeah, the more variables you can eliminate going into every show, if, especially if you're not carrying your own gear the better right the faster you get done with sound check totally. the faster the band is ready to go you know after a long day on the road or something like that you you want that consistency when you show up at the venue totally i mean it just makes your day easier right mm-hmm. yeah so you know you kind of just you kind of just mentioned it but you know when when you're not carrying microphones you know you're at the mercy of the venue but what is the first bunch of stuff you start carrying once you get past that stage of I'm carrying nothing? Like, what do you start to carry? Like, Brendan, what did you start to carry when you were doing shows? I mean, honestly, my mic case is not huge, but what I always bring with me is uh, SM91. I do bring a Beta 52. And these are just kind of like, mm-hmm. I, I guess I, you know, I it's pretty standard because as I, you know, grew as an engineer, like, I was either gifted or like purchased mics that I could afford at the time, which happened to be those standards. So I have like a 57 the standards. Yeah. A 58. I wish my mics, I have like mics that I would love to purchase to have in my, my, uh, my case, but it just, you know, hasn't come around to being able to buy them yet, you know? Right. Right. But but the thing is, it's like there is a value still, though, in being able to use your own stuff yeah. um, because, A, you know it works. B, 
there's a hygiene aspect, especially with vocal microphones. If I'm sure. touring with anybody, I'm going to make them buy their own vocal microphones, and then we're going to we're going to use those every single day, so that nobody's getting yeah. sick from you know this gross green uh, SM58 that's been on the floor of this gross bar for you know 15 years. That'd be the first thing to carry, I, I would say, is the vocal mic. Vocal you microphones, know? yeah. yeah. I when I started carrying mics, uh, I did exactly that. I started with the vocal mics, but then the next thing I started carrying was the stuff I wasn't necessarily going to get every day. Um, you know, Brendan, you said a ninety-one. Mm -hmm. uh, when you're doing smaller venues, a lot of them don't have ninety-ones. They only have Same. a fifty-two. They don't have the inside mic. Yeah. So I started carrying that one pretty early on, um, just to make sure I'd have it, and then. Uh, I, and I feel like this is like pretty much every engineer. Uh, the next bunch of stuff I started carrying was drum mics, mm -hmm. um, which is kind of weird if you think about it. Cause like, you know, drums aren't the most important instrument, but I feel like <laughs> almost every engineer starts carrying their drum mics pretty early on before they even c cover the whole stage. There's a, there's a pride in the, in the drum portion of the mix, you know, something about <laughs> getting a kit just right and just slamming is like, you know, there's, it feels good. Is that, is that why I spend half my time mixing, making the drums sound good? I you think know, so, there's, yeah. th it, they Damn have the it. most channels typically, you know, like <laughs> they do, they are half for, for one person. Why not spend half my time? Yeah. And then they're always fun. It's fun. You know, drums are fun. Yeah. yeah. Not that everything else is not fun, but like, you know, it's. Now keyboards are not fun. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, bro. Whoa. No, you got to Whoa. Them's fighting words. <laughs> yeah. Uh but but uh at the same time as starting to carrying all that stuff, I started carrying Z bars and and claws ah, yeah. and stuff like that because you go into so many houses and they've got yeah, maybe they got like three or four decent boom stands, but then everything after that, it's a crapshoot. Mm -hmm. You don't even know if they're going to have short stands. You don't know if they're going to have enough uh you know, just enough to kind of cover all this stuff. So if you carry Z-bars, uh, you cover all your guitars, your basses, anything with an amplifier. Mm -hmm. You carry claws, you can cover a lot of stuff. You know, I, I, I do claws. my snare top and bottom on a claw. Uh, I do my kick out on a claw. Mm -hmm. I often do toms on a claw if I'm not using a microphone that clips on on its own. Uh, and actually, I guess I'm never using a microphone that clips on its own because I don't use 604s and 904s. Oh. Um yeah, I mean that's just it's just a personal preference. I'm I I, I like other stuff. We have, there's nothing wrong with them. They're great. Differing schools, I see, in a uh, uh, Tom Mike selection. We'll we'll put it this way: if I was going to be working on a band that I don't commonly work on, if I was in a venue and it was like a support act, I, I'll totally throw up a nine hundred four six hundred four because it'll quickly get me there, right? Because it's kind of pre EQ'd in a way that makes a Tom sound pretty good. Right off the bat. Yeah, fat. Mm -hmm. But um, with an artist I'm touring with, I'm going to be a lot more particular about the actual sound of the drum itself. So I'm going to want to get something that captures it as naturally as possible and then have the drummer do as much to make it good. And then I will just take it from there and kind of tweak it. So I usually end up with like a Heil PR31. Ah. Um, I've got the Earthworks, the new drum mics that they've got, those little clip-ons. They look a lot like 98s. Mm. They're great. Those are amazing. Um, oh, man, they are amazing. Yeah. Transient response is ridiculous. <clears throat> like, you don't need to boost any top end. You, the drummer just hits it, and it is clear as day. Nice. Uh, and, you know, the, the problem I find often with using uh, your average dynamic on, 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 on toms 
is that I end up boosting a bunch of top end yeah. in order to get them to kind of cut, right? And then the, the problem is if I start boosting in. top end, cymbals end up in it. Yeah. And if I've got a mic that already has the transient response that's clear enough to have that top end, then I don't need to boost any. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's just me being picky. I mean, I, I realize like we're talking high budget stuff there. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, those 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 earthworks are something like five six hundred bucks a piece. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not that's not an entry level microphone to start using there. No, sure. <laughs> but so I, actually, that brings me to my next question, and this is a thing I've had a huge challenge with. Um, I'm really fortunate that the artists I work with they rehearse a lot. Uh, and we get some proper time to put things up, build mixes and stuff like that. But at the same time, because of the way the rehearsal schedule works is the moment we put up mics, art starts going through stuff. At that point, we can't really mess with any of it mm-hmm. because they're using it. They're using it for their in-ears. Mm-hmm. And I really like trying different microphones on sources. Mm-hmm. So have, have you guys ever gone through this scenario of like how to figure out the right mic for the right source how do you do it well um you know it's kind of um you start out by just kind of like making an educated guess you know uh think about what what us you know if you know the the qualities of certain mics what they might sound like on on a source that you're going to be dealing with and then you kind of go from there um you know if if you feel like it could be better, try something else. Uh, keeping in mind the whole rejection versus tonality thing, you know, um, that constant battle raging the entire time. Um, and yeah, just put a mic up, and if it's if it's terrible, change it. Um, you know, how does how does that conversation go with the other engineer on the tour? You know, if 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 you're at front of house and you go, oh man, I really want to try this. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, you know, just how, like that. How do you bring that up? You know, you know, every every dynamic is different on every crew, but you know, um, communication is a big part of it. And just being like, hey, like I, this would be really helpful. I, w- I would like to try something something new here. It's not cutting it. Um, you know, um, yeah. it, it comes down to your your job responsibility too. You know, like sure, you're making the monitor guy work harder if you're the front of house guy proposing a mic change, but you know, um, it's your job to make it sound as good as possible you know too so yeah yeah Yeah. it's it's an interesting thing because the requirements at monitors and the requirements at front of house can be quite different absolutely you don't you don't always get the option to use two different ways to capture that instrument Mm -hmm. you know sometimes you do you know like you might have a a mic on an acoustic guitar and a a di and maybe the di goes to ears and maybe you take the mic out front or something like that or vice versa you know, those those things are all possible, but sometimes you just don't have the option to double mic things up. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's interesting because when we, when we were doing this, um, we did the whole day of rehearsal, and at the end of the day of rehearsal, uh, I chatted with my monitor guy, and I said, hey, you know, I, I really want to tr- try these other mics on these sources. Would you be into it? And he goes, yeah, let's do it when they're not here. I was like, okay, cool. So what we did was artist left, and he had been recording everything on his end, and I had been recording everything on my end. So what we did was we swapped the mics, and we had uh, you know a tech get up there and just start, start playing. And while they were playing, we made sure we got the gains about the same, and he could A, B back and forth to his recording to go, how do I make this sound like how they liked it in years? Mm-hmm. And he just went back and forth until he got it about right, and he goes, yes, this works for me, uh, and... 
I got to sit and try and see if the new mic worked for me better. As it turns out, it did. So we ended up swapping and it, we went on with it. It, it was a pretty cool workflow to, to make it happen. And then the next day, when the band came in, they didn't even know anything had changed. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Yeah, that's, that's stories, great, I mean, stories of success. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah, my last story, we just had to choose between... Well, I guess we had we were rehearsing in the spot where we were renting. So we may have switched out a couple mics, but they were pretty... It was at the beginning of rehearsals. So, you know, before everything was all dialed in, we did have the option of two capsules for lead vocal. And we tried them both out right at the top of the rehearsals mm-hmm. and just kind of... Mm-hmm. was It was just obvious, like, oh, this one's better on her voice. Like, let's go with that. Yeah. 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 So... So, so how do you kind of uh, pick and choose a vocal microphone? Like, what, what were you looking for when you tried one versus the other? We were looking for, I mean, we were looking for both the clarity of the vocal and how much it picked up the rest of the stage, especially the drums. Gotcha. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Those were the two. And one of them just clearly worked better for that yeah, artist? Just, yeah, it just worked better for her voice. Her voice sounded like very noticeably better through it and it didn't pick up as much of the drums. So we went with that one in that situation. Nice. Yeah. I think overall, you know, mics are one of those things that's pretty personal. Everyone picks the thing that's right for them uh, and it works for that artist specifically. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the more kind of standard you pick your mics the more likely you are to get it if you're not carrying it but once you're carrying you can bring whatever you want it's it's pretty cool mm-hmm. yeah and I, I i think just from experience you just learn those different scenarios where different mics will most likely work out you know depending on how loud the band is what kind of room you're in you you develop over time that kind of knowledge and i, I and i mean working at venues where working at house gigs at venues, you have that time to experiment too, right? So that's like a good time where you get to learn the different aspects of the mics and how they work and what what works and what doesn't work. Yeah, I mean, I'll say at this point, I can kind of just stand in front of an instrument and in my head, I can already hear what a particular microphone would sound like on it. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, I mean, that's just from doing it a long time, you know, and now I, I just go, yep, this is the one that makes sense in front of that. Yeah. And you put it up and either it sounds like what you're imagining in your head or it doesn't. And if it doesn't, you know, maybe you need to move the position or maybe the microphone is wrong and you're just an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> it's always a possibility. <laughs> There's, consider hey, it's always that a possibility that I'm an idiot. Throughout your career, you'll consider that many times. Maybe I'm many, just an idiot. Many, many times. Yeah. Oh man, I, that should be an, an entire episode on its own. <laughs> the times you thought you were an idiot, right? <laughs> and, and well, that that's separate from the episode that is the times you were an idiot. <laughs> right, right. And then that's also separate from the times where you were an idiot, but nobody happened to notice. Yeah, those are good ones. Yeah, those are good. real good ones. <laughs> I got a lot of those. those ones. The best oh, of times. Man. Can't wait. Anyways, uh, I think that about covers it, right, guys? Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think we got it all in there. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Like, subscribe, do all those fancy things, and uh, we'll catch you on the next episode. Sweet. Sweet.